Well, in the late 1950s, Colonel Joe Kittinger, Jr. was the director of Project Excelsior, a government program to develop safety techniques for pilots who had to eject from aircraft at high altitudes. It was dangerous but necessary work. Kittinger never had any problems with his testing until that day in 1959. During a test, uh, he jumped from a a gas balloon at 76,400 feet above the New Mexico desert. But seconds after he jumped, his parachute cord got tangled around his neck. It was the worst thing that could happen, and it happened at the worst possible time. His body went into a spin, a death spiral that would reach 120 revolutions a minute. That's two spins every second. With G-forces at 22 times the force of gravity in his extremities as he spun round and round. He was moving faster than his body could bear. He was plunging at some 600 plus miles an hour straight down. And he blacked out. Incredibly and miraculously, about a mile above the ground, his reserve parachute finally opened and snapped him back to consciousness. When he came to, he thought he'd died. But then he spotted the parachute above him, and and only one thought rushed through his mind. I'm alive, he would later write. I'm impossibly, wonderfully alive. Colonel Kittinger went on to be honored by President Eisenhower for his bravery and his service to his country. In 1960, after that deal in 1959, he went on to set the world altitude record falling from 102,800 feet. If you want to do the math, it would come up to like 19.4 miles in the air. Or the atmosphere, perhaps. (laughs) And set a record that would not be broken until just five years ago, 2012. It was broken by a man by the last name of Bumgardner. And it was broken with the help of Joe Kittinger at age 84. After he broke that record, or set that record in 1960, he went on to serve three tours in Vietnam as a pilot. He was shot down, spent some time, about 11 months as a POW in the Hanoi Hilton concentration camp there before his return home where he continued his Air Force career. I'm alive. I'm impossibly, wonderfully alive. You know, Jesus had a close friend who could truly say the same thing. Remember Lazarus? But old Lazarus' excitement was even greater and more full of wonder for his was not just another near-death experience. Near being the key word, near-death experience. Lazarus was the one who the Bible over and over calls the one who Jesus raised from the dead. He was the one that Jesus literally and bodily raised from the dead after he had spent four days in a tomb. Our text for this morning 
focuses on Judas Iscariot and Lazarus' sister, Mary. In response to the resurrection of Lazarus, one was unchanged, while the other was radically changed forever. I want to talk to you this morning. I want to ask you this question. How do you value Jesus? There's two parts to the question. Can you hear the emphasis there? How? How do you value Jesus? And how do you personally value Jesus? The truth I want you to take home with you this morning is this. When you've hoped in the resurrection power of Jesus, you will hold nothing back as you worship him. We could say it this way. If you've hoped in the resurrection power of Jesus, there'll be a result. Then you will hold nothing back as you worship him. The opposite's also true. If you hold back, if there's things you're not willing to give up to the Lord and worship to Him, then you've probably never truly encountered the resurrected Jesus. And we're fixing to meet one of each. John chapter 12, verses 1 through 8. This, this takes place not on Palm Sunday. I'm preaching on Palm Saturday. How about that? This is the day before Palm Sunday. Jesus was on His way to where he would make that triumphal entry. But on the way, we land here. John 12, verses 1 through 8. Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there, that is for Jesus. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at table. Mary, therefore, took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, he who was about to betray him, said, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? John says, he said this not because he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Jesus said, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me. Do you... Value Jesus with miserly self-interest that comes from the suicidal heart of an idolater? Or do you value Jesus in lavish love that comes from the sincere heart of a true believer, a true worshiper of Jesus? You see, when you've hoped in the resurrection of Jesus, you will hold nothing back from him. As you worship. John Piper says it's a beautiful thing when the worth of Jesus and the love of his followers match. When the value of his perfections and the intensity of our affections correspond. And it is not beautiful, but suicidal when they don't. 
but we can be more specific and put a, a finer point on this story. The worth of Jesus, the perfection of Jesus that Mary and Martha and Lazarus have in mind in this story is his grace and power to raise the dead. So let's break it down so that we can answer this question, how do I value Jesus? See with me, first of all, the context in verse 1. We need to back up and kind of see what's been going on, how this fits in, 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 the, in the flow of things. Verse 1 says, Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. As you can see, just a chapter earlier in John 11, if you've got your Bibles and you're looking, just kind of glance back. Jesus, just a few days earlier, we're not sure exactly how long, maybe a week or two at the most, he just raised Lazarus from the dead after four days in the grave. At that point, he told Martha... I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? He asked Martha. And that's before he'd raised Lazarus. And Martha said what? Martha, and we can be sure Mary and after he was resurrected, Lazarus did trust in the resurrecting power of Jesus, even as Martha confessed, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. So we know that this family had faith that Jesus could raise the dead. Martha had it, at least we're told, before he raised Lazarus, and the whole family got it after Lazarus was raised. Amen? I mean, if Jesus raised your relative, you'd believe, right? Now, the resurrection of Jesus, or excuse me, of Lazarus, got Jesus in trouble with the religious leaders, as you can imagine, because they were afraid Jesus would soon have the allegiance of, of all the temple worshipers and, and take away their living. And another place the text says. Uh, the religious leaders speaking, they, they say something like, look, the whole world's gone after him. And they're jealous. They can't stand the fact that, they're, that they're, their media, mediatory role with, with God as priest and religious leaders is being circumvented. People are going to Jesus straight. Verse 53 and 54 of Luke 11 says, so from that day on they made plans to put him to death. Jesus, therefore, no longer walked openly among the Jews, but went from there to the region near the wilderness to a town called Ephraim, and he stayed there with the disciples. And then verses 55 through 57 of chapter 11 tell us that the Jews were on the lookout as the Passover feast approached. The question was, would Jesus show up? After the, the Lazarus resurrection, he, he went away to Ephraim, spent some time there, don't know how long, and they're wondering, is he going to come back? And it was in this moment that we enter John 12. I said Luke while ago, John, 12, John 11, John 12. Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany. John has just said, religious leaders are on the lookout for him. They want to arrest him. 
Then he says, six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany. Bethany was on his way back from Jerusalem, from Ephraim to, to Jerusalem. It was on his path, and so he stopped in to see Lazarus and Martha and Mary. Very simply, it was Jesus' time. He knew that they were waiting on him. It was his time to come and be in his exact timing, on an exact day, arrested and beaten and tortured and crucified as the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So that's, that's the context. That's what's been going on. And now he's in Bethany. In verse 2, we find the setting. Notice there, it says, So, now that Jesus is there in Bethany with the family, so they gave a dinner for him there. Matthew tells us, by the way, that they were at the house of Simon the leper. Uh, John doesn't say exactly where they were, just that they were in Lazarus' hometown. Matthew says they were in the, in the house of Simon the leper, which makes for an even in, more interesting scene. Simon the leper. Now, if he still had leprosy, you understand they couldn't be in his house. He wouldn't be in a house. He'd be off in a cave somewhere hiding from humanity with other lepers. This is somebody who clearly Jesus had healed of leprosy. You got a, a healed leper and a raised, formerly dead man. They're all at the same party, and Jesus is there. I mean, this is a good time. I mean, the stories that they're fixing to tell, can you imagine? I just would have liked to have been there. Where were we? It says, Martha served. She was always serving, wasn't she? Mary's going to do something different in a minute, but Martha's service, in this case in particular, was just as much worship as Mary's worship, just different. Talking to someone this morning, we've all got different gifts in the body of Christ, don't we? And they can all be used in the service and worship of Jesus. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those who, recline, who was reclining with him at table. They would have been laying around a square table on the floor. It's clear that this was a dinner to honor Jesus. So they gave a dinner for him there. In verse 3, it says, Mary therefore took a pound of expensive perfume. They've given the dinner for, they've, they're given a dinner for Jesus. He's reclining at the table there with Lazarus and, and Mary therefore. Because this is going on, this is the time, this was the plan. This was all set up for this moment to honor Jesus. The dinner was intended to celebrate the miracle of Jesus' resurrection by honoring the resurrector of the dead. That's the setting. Thirdly, notice with me the lavish love of a true worshiper. Verse 3, Mary, therefore, took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Now, the perfume lotion in, in view here would have been in a bottle or a jar about the size of a, of a soda bottle and was made from precious nard. Nard comes from a plant which grows in, in the Himalayan mountains of India. 
It comes from the spike of that plant, and it's harvested and then would have been put on camel caravan across the long deserts of Asia or on ships from the ports in India to sail up the Red Sea and then be brought to Palestine. We learn in verse 5 that it was worth 300 denarii. Judas tells us that. That's a year's wages, or to put it in, in, a, in a rough equivalent for today, that means this small bottle of, of nard would be worth $25,000 at least. This was, I mean, ladies, this was a whole other level of perfume. This was a whole other kind of smell good. $25,000. And so you look at this and you say, well, where did Mary and Lazarus and Martha get such a treasure? We, short story, we don't know. Perhaps the whole family planned this moment. By the way, this was one of the, the, uh, the, the perfumes used in the burial process, which is not insignificant, as we'll see a little bit later. Perhaps the whole family planned this moment. Perhaps they pooled their, their savings to buy this gift. I mean, I mean, remember what happened. What had just happened to this family? I'm worried. Their brother just got raised from the dead. He just got raised from the dead. I mean, what's your life savings in comparison to that if that happens to your family? Huh. And Jesus, he's coming back by. He got out of town real quick because they were going to kill him, but he's sneaking into town tonight for a party. We're going, we're going all out. And if they really believed him to be, as they said they did, the Messiah, they had some inkling of what that meant. We don't really know. Perhaps it was a family heirloom that had been passed on for years. We just don't know. But what we do know is that this is an act of gratitude and worship, and it was an all-in, lavish expression of love to Jesus. Mary was holding nothing back. Martha was holding nothing back. Lazarus was holding nothing back as a family. They were worshiping Jesus as the Messiah of Israel. Mary pours it on Jesus' feet. John says here, now, for, for you Bible s- scholars in the room, you know that Matthew says he poured it on Jesus' head. That's opposite ends of the body, is it not? Matthew 26, verse 7. And so, those among us who would say, you know, see there, I mean, the Bible's just, it's just, a, it's just a mess. I mean, it doesn't it doesn't make sense, doesn't even agree. The gospel writers can't even agree together. What's going on? How do we, how do we deal with that? Which was it? I believe it was both. Mary, again, poured out an entire pound of nard, $25,000 perfume on Jesus. So that the text says the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. I believe she just kind of started, I mean, she just poured the stuff from head to toe. You say, why, why don't you believe that? Yeah, I really believe that. She just saw her brother come out of the tomb after four days. I'd, I'd give him a bath in it. But don't miss this. Then Mary lets down her hair, which is taboo. You didn't do that if you were a woman in public. You only did that behind the bedroom door for your husband. She lets her hair down in public 
in an act of shameless humility, and I believe a sort of bearing of her soul, so to speak, before her Savior. She then uses her hair as a towel, and, and she wipes off the nard from Jesus' feet. Not from his head, but from his feet. A further act of her deep humility and devotion and gratitude and love and amazement at Jesus Christ, the Messiah. You see, lavish love that comes from the sincere heart of a true worshiper who has hoped in the resurrection power of Jesus. How do you know? How do you know if, you, if, if, if you've really trusted the resurrection power of Jesus? You will worship without holding back. There'll be nothing in your life off limits to Jesus. If the Holy Spirit deals with you on an area of your life, He will get the door open. You won't keep Him walled out, blocked off at arm's length. Because if you've seen the power of the resurrected Jesus and the resurrection power Jesus wields, you can't help but pour out lavish love and worship. Notice the end of verse 3 again. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Here's something else. When you worship Jesus with lavish, self-sacrificing, self-sacrificing love, it will be noticed by those around you. They'll smell you. They'll know you're there. They'll catch a whiff of your odor. Will be, as Paul says, the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To the one, a fragrance from death to death. To the other, a fragrance from life to life. Even as God, through us, the text says in 2 Corinthians 2, spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of Him everywhere. You smell different if you lavishly love the resurrected Jesus and Jesus the resurrector. If you really embrace his power, you smell different to the world around you. Do they know you're there? Can they tell you're in the room? I smell something funny. Good, but funny. Or, Paul says, smell like death. Both reactions, right? Some will hate you because you love him. And yet some will be drawn to him because you love him. Is your heart hoping in Jesus so that you spiritually smell different? You see, when you've hoped in the resurrection power of Jesus, you will hold nothing back as you worship him. Well, there's Mary. And there's the lavish love of a true worshiper. But see with me, fourthly and finally here, the miserly self-interest of an idolater. idolater. The miserly self-interest of an idolater, an idol worshiper. Verses 4 
through 6. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, he who was about to betray him, said, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? John just exposes him. He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. John Piper says of Judas, Judas will eventually die at his own hands. He would take his own life. And right in this moment, he is paving the way to his own suicide. He said, what are you talking about? This miserly self-interest of an idolater, it comes from a suicidal heart that doesn't even recognize its own self-destructive tendencies and it comes from a heart that's not been changed by Jesus you see Judas too had witnessed the resurrection of Lazarus he was there but his heart didn't respond like Mary's with love and hope in Jesus resurrecting power now you say well I mean she was his sister so what yeah, I mean, I get that part. But I mean, how many dead men you ever seen raised? I mean, if you were there, you ought, to, you ought to worship, amen? That ought to get a hold of your heart. Lazarus should have been changed. But you see, Jesus loved money. Or excuse me, Judas loved money. That's a major error. We don't correct that one. Everybody clear? Judas loved money, which is suicidal. You see, Jesus had warned Judas. Judas had heard these words from Matthew 6. No one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve Judas. You can't serve God and money. You can't serve God and money, Judas. He'd heard those words and defied them every sense. He didn't listen. He heard, but he didn't understand. Perhaps he understood, but did not choose the way of life. Chad, you keep saying it's suicidal to love money. What are you talking about? 1 Timothy 6, verses 9 and 10. Where Paul says, following in the, in, 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 in the line of Jesus' own teaching, but those who desire... To be rich. Let me just stop right there and say this. You don't even have to be rich. It's the desire to be rich. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires, listen, that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Your life becomes a train wreck. Ultimately, you're destroyed. For the love 
of money. It's not money itself. It's the love of money. It's about the heart. It's about the desire to be rich. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving. What craving? The craving for money. That some have wandered away from the faith, Paul says. Listen to what it says. And pierced themselves with many pangs. The love of money is suicidal. Because it's a desire that leads you to pierce yourself through with many pangs. That will kill you. If you let yourself love money and even feed that hunger as our culture trains us to do, you are fertilizing a heart in yourself that will self-destruct. You cannot serve God in money. John exposed Judas for his true motive as well as gives us an understanding in advance of Judas' betrayal of Jesus. Judas very simply loved money from a suicidal heart. In Matthew 25, verses 14 to 16, we learn that Judas betrays Jesus in just a little while from the time of John 12 for 30 pieces of silver. Do you know how that compares to 300 denarii? 300 denarii, 30 pieces of silver. We said 300 denarii was equivalent to about how much U.S. dollars? 25,000. Judas betrayed Jesus for the equivalent of a measly $1,000. Tops! How did Mary value Jesus? $25,000. And that was just an expression of an infinite love in her heart. How did Judas value Jesus? I'll give him to you corrupt religious leaders for a thousand bucks. Judas, Jesus, loved Judas. Jesus, the night before he died, got on his knees and washed Judas' feet just like every other disciples, even though he knew he would betray him. And yet Judas loved money. The love of money will lead my heart to do things that I can't even imagine doing on this side of things. The love of money will unchain an animal in you that you don't know exists. After Jesus' arrest... Scripture tells us Judas was remorseful. He was not repentant. But he was remorseful. 
And he goes back to the religious leaders and he throws the, the 30, they wouldn't take the money back. He throws the money down at their feet. And he goes out and the Bible says he hanged himself. The miserly self-interest of an idolater flows from a suicidal heart. not a worshiper of Jesus. Oh, you may be sitting here in church every Sunday. Judas went everywhere Jesus went for three years. It was a rare moment that they weren't together for three years, night and day. And yet his heart, and God forbid yours or mine, was calloused to who the resurrector really was. It can happen to you. It can happen to me if we let our hearts love money. Wow, this is not what I was expecting on Palm Sunday, preacher. Well, I told you it's Palm Saturday. And how long have we missed the truth of this passage? You see, when you've hoped in the resurrection power of Jesus, you will hold nothing back as you worship him. Well, Jesus finishes this little scene by saying these words in verses 7 and 8. Jesus said, leave her alone, Judas, so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you always have with you. Now, was Jesus saying that it wouldn't have been a good thing to do to use all that money to help the poor? No, but he was making this point. God incarnate is in the house. He's at the table. The Savior of the world is here. I won't always be here like this, Judas, you idiot. (laughs) She's got more sense than you do because she knows where I'm going. And you can take care of the poor with somebody else's fortune later. But let her alone, Judas, it's the right thing for her to do. It's the right way to worship me. What does Jesus mean when he says, so that she may keep it for the day of my burial? Let me just go ahead and say it's a complicated phrase. Not 100% sure exactly what it means. But here's my perspective. He can't mean the perfume, right? It's been poured out all over Jesus. Yes, it was burial perfume, but it's been poured out all over Jesus. I believe Jesus is saying to Judas, Judas, be quiet. Let Mary keep her precious heart that pours out lavish love on me because of her hope in me as the resurrection and the life for all. Let her alone, Judas, because I'm going to be buried in six days from today. She needs to keep this heart for next Friday. Through Sunday morning when I'm dead and buried in the grave so that she can still believe in me when I rise on the de- from the dead on the third day. Judas, leave her alone. Let her keep it for my burial. Here's the question. 
do you? How do you, they, Jesus, do you grossly undervalue Jesus in miserly self-interest that comes from the suicidal heart of an idolater? Or do you rightly value Jesus in lavish love that comes from the sincere heart of a true believer, a real worshiper of Jesus? Which is it? East L.J. Baptist Church, three action points. First, be lavish in your love to Jesus. No cost is too great to show your love for him and to tell your world about him. Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. And the biggest commandment he's given us left is well, twofold. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. And the way you do that, first and foremost, is you go and make disciples of all the nations. Tell the world about me. You want to love people? Tell them about Jesus, the only hope, their only Savior. Be lavish in your love for Jesus. No cost is too great. Secondly, ask your Father for His Spirit's power to resist the love of of money. You are every single day inundated and bombarded with everything that feeds the love of money in your heart. And so am I. From our educational system to our families to media, we are conditioned love money. Ask your father. You can't do it on your own. Ask your father for his spirit's power to resist the love of money because hear me, you will self-destruct if you don't refuse to go down that road, that wide road that leads to hell. As John Piper says, Jesus is your riches. And all that money can buy cannot compare to him. And the power to do both of these things, the power to be lavish in your love for Jesus and the power to resist the love of money comes from this third action point. Don't fear. In fact, be hopeful in the face of death. You have a certain hope for eternity with Jesus in his presence forever. Because Jesus not only died to pay the price for your sins, but he rose again in power over the power of sin and death, the Bible tells us. Death's not final. But rather the door to an everlasting joy and pleasure in Jesus. And you can live differently than the world and not fear death, but be hopeful in the face of of death. That doesn't mean you have to want to die. It just means you're not afraid to die. You have a peace. You have a hope when death comes. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in him, though he die, yet shall he live. And whoever lives and believes in him shall never die. 
How do you value Jesus? Are you really a true worshiper of him? Are you just playing games as an idolater in the church? Fan the flame of of lavish love for Jesus. Don't hold back. Ask God. Leslie sings a song, man. Talking about taking me deeper out where only where, where only into the waters. I can't remember all the words right now. The idea is, God, take me further than I am now. Take me to a place where my faith is is stretched and grown, where I'm trusting you for bigger things in my life, where I'm where I'm where I'm where I'm where I'm, where I'm being more sacrificial in my obedience to you. Fan that flame. Pray that way. And then don't see death the way the world sees death. Don't fear it. Be hopeful. Because death for you, if you know Jesus, means to be absent from the body and present with the Lord. When you've hoped in the resurrection power of Jesus, you will hold nothing back as you worship him.